You are Locked On Hawks, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Hawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 55 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and as I record this, very, very late on Tuesday night, I have just returned from Phillips Arena where I watched the Hawks get another win in the preseason. They wrapped up their uh, preseason home slate with a victory over the shorthanded and, uh, you know, I guess very shorthanded New Orleans Pelicans on this night. But as you listen to this on Wednesday, uh, there's plenty to get to on this podcast. There was even a bit of news that broke after the game, but I do want to get a deep dive into Tuesday's action. So that's what we'll do here to start things off. Uh, first, I mean, we can kind of jump in at any point, but this was the first time the Atlanta Hawks deployed all five of their starters at the same time. That starting lineup was Dennis Schroeder, Kyle Korver, Kent Bazemore, Paul Millsap, and Dwight Howard. Uh, obviously, Millsap did not return to the lineup at all until Sunday in Orlando, and on that day, the Hawks were basically resting everybody else but Millsap, so it was nice to see the entire starting five on the court, and really, everybody was available that is healthy. Uh, you know, Jarrett Jack and Tiago Splitter uh, are both out, but they were that, that was the entirety of the injury report, and as a result, there were, uh, you know, 14 of the 16, you know, core healthy guys were on the court. Uh, at some point during the game. Uh, for the most part, though, this was the dress rehearsal for the Hawks. We kind of knew that going in uh, Tuesday. During Tuesday's shoot-around, Mike Budenholzer was uh, pretty candid in saying that uh, the team would be going with a uh, r- relatively normal rotation. I think uh, in the end, the starters probably played a little bit less than I would have thought, only because of the fact that the Hawks were, were winning by such a significant margin. And uh, as we'll talk about in a second, Budenholzer was not really there in the second half to... Uh, you know, kind of dole out minutes probably in the ideal fashion, but in the end, they kind of got what they wanted. Uh, you know, early in the game, I thought it was pretty noteworthy that, that Mike Muscala was the first big off the bench for Atlanta and was really the first sub overall. He came in at the, at the 7.06 mark of the first quarter uh, to get Paul Millsap. I thought it was interesting timing uh, in that regard. Millsap uh, was quickly back on the court just a handful of minutes later. Um, that kind of mirrors what Al Horford did a year ago. Uh, you know, on a, on a pretty regular basis, being the sort of the first guy that comes out of the game, but also comes back in to sort of uh, captain the second unit. Um, so that's something that you know is worth monitoring. Again, you know, Budenholzer may, may not do all these things in the regular season, but I thought that was pretty deliberate to get Paul uh, a quick breather and then have him back out there to sort of uh, lead the way with the reserves. Um, I just thought it was noteworthy that Muscala was ahead of guys like Mike Scott and Chris Humphreys, although Humphreys did come in as the first big off the bench in the second half of the game. So, you know, Budenholzer might be th- trying to throw people off the scent in terms of what the uh, actual rotation will look like. But in terms of the, uh, the rotation in the first half, when things were kind of uh, going at full blast, um, the Hawks played 10 guys. It was Malcolm Delaney, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Tabo Cephalosha, Mike Muscala and Chris Humphreys, as far as the bench is concerned, in addition to the starters. So that's that's worth noting. Uh, defensively, I thought the Hawks looked very, very good early on, especially, but really the entire night against a very limited Pelicans team. Uh, New Orleans was playing without Anthony Davis and uh, Drew Holiday's out. A bunch of guys, uh, you know, each one more, one of their big free agent acquisitions was also out. This is a very, uh, a very ugly offensive team, but the Hawks did play well defensively. That's worth noting. Uh, a couple of other notes. Uh, Dwight Howard took two different 18-foot-ish 
jump shots in this game. Uh, that's something that I obviously do not like. For long-time listeners, they'll know that that scares me to death, especially the first one that Howard took was really just kind of a, a natural catch-and-shoot uh, that was nowhere close to being a completed shot. Um, you know, I'm hoping this is a preseason thing with Dwight and then he will kind of sow his oats in the, in that way before the regular season begins. But if that's a, if that's a shot that he's going to be, you, you never want to say allowed because I'm sure the Hawks don't want him to take that shot, but if that's a shot that he's going to be permitted to take. Um, that's something that I would be concerned about. Uh, big picture. Um, Nate Duncan of, of the Dunkton podcast, who I've mentioned a lot on this podcast. Uh, I think he was the first person I saw mention this on Twitter tonight. Uh, he basically talked about the fact that Howard should have a ton of opportunities on the glass um, because of the fact that Dennis Schroeder is not the greatest finisher in the world. Uh, they'll be playing a lot of pick and roll together, and Schroeder, you know, sh- the way that he finishes around the rim is with, with a lot of scoop shots and some circus attempts. There should be a lot of offensive rebound putback stuff there for Howard. I thought that was a good point, and I thought you know that kind of manifested itself on a couple of occasions, and the fact that help's going to come on Dennis Schroeder. And also uh, on the on the outside to kind of to kind of take away Kyle Korver that could free up some space for uh, Howard and he was uh, pretty pretty able to take advantage of that on this night. Uh, Howard was not efficient though. He shot three of ten from the field in this game after a bunch of highly efficient games in, in a shooting department in previous previous outings. You know he gave pretty good effort I thought on both ends. I'm starting to get the feeling of course that watching him at the free throw line will be. Uh, just as excruciating as you might imagine it being, he had an air ball in this game, and you know, for me, some of the buzz about how we're fixing a free throw stroke was always overblown. But it's a mental thing with Dwight clearly, and uh, the air ball was another example of that, where that's that's not that's just not something that happens to a capable free throw shooter. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be interesting to see what fans, especially, do when Dwight's at the line. We were already in, at the point tonight in a uh, in a game that was uh, what I would say was sparsely attended. Where they uh, gave the, the crowd gave Howard a sarcastic cheer when he made a free throw later in the game. Uh, that's just uh, it's not it's not a great start for Dwight at the line, but in general he was pretty good on this night. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. had a uh, breakout game for him, uh, especially in the first half. He had 12 points at the half on five of five shooting with two of two from three point land. Uh, as we talked about a few times on the on the show in the in the past week or so, Hardaway's been really struggling with his shot. Even in a game that he had a better game uh, on Sunday, he still shot six of fifteen from the field. So to have him have an efficient night was encouraging. Uh, he doesn't do a lot else, especially on this night. I think he had a bunch of zeros in the box score. Uh, Hardaway was sort of a non-factor, but he did look confident shooting a couple of uh, nice uh, you know creations for himself. He had a nice post up at one point in this game. I'm not sure it's sustainable, but it did work. Uh, and uh, Hardaway playing playing better is encouraging because I'm pretty confident the Hawks are going to be playing him in the rotation, uh, especially early on, until he kind of plays himself out of that, which I think is a possibility. But he's going to be getting the first crack as the fourth wing, and if he's not shooting the ball well, it's really, really tough to play a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Paul Millsap had a pretty rough game uh, in terms of efficiency. Uh, he, he did flash the defensive stuff that you love from him, the hands, um, the sort of the versatility. But given what he did on Sunday and, the, and just how awesome he was in that game and the fact that he looked pretty physically right to me uh, up close, uh, seeing him in person, you can kind of tell a little bit more than on TV. And Millsap didn't look, like, didn't look to be fairing that knee at all. So that's all encouraging. I'm not really worried about the way that he played in this game. Um, on, a, on a fairly quick turnaround after Sunday, but you know, no health concerns. He, Mike Budenholzer was asked about Billsap ahead of the game, and he kind of just gave the the all clear. Um, so that's that's a good sign after Sunday, and hopefully after after Tuesday's game, he'll be uh, 
you know, still full systems go. And I, I'd be pretty surprised if Millsap played in the final preseason game um, on Thursday night in Chicago. But I think we've seen enough of him to become pretty comfortable with what Paul will be able to do at the start of the season. Um, again, you know, this is a 10-man rotation for the most part in this game with the five guys I mentioned, uh, in addition to the starters. We did see uh, the end of the bench come in later on. Um, this is a dress rehearsal in every way it looked like to me. Uh, Mike Scott was sort of the odd man out in the front court. He did, he did come in. Uh, he was the first of the other guys to come in the game late in the third quarter, but Scott kind of had a game where he kind of ran around with, with his head cut off a lot. You know, he was pretty, pretty energetic, but not particularly effective in any way. Um, I'd be a little bit worried if I was Mike Scott about my rotation spot and really about my spot on the roster. Uh, it would look pretty silly. I tweeted this um, on Tuesday night, but it would look pretty darn silly if the Hawks were to cut Mike Scott. I've been asked a few times if that's a possibility. Um, it'd be pretty bad if they picked up his team option for $3.3 million, paid, you know, elected to pay that, and then cut him. That would be a bad PR look for the Hawks. Just not, not an intelligent-looking move, but uh, he's certainly not been a focal point of the rotation, and considering he battled some injury stuff, it's not been a great preseason for Mike Scott, but um, he wasn't awful on this night. It's just kind of an, an up-and-down performance, and I thought that was worth noting. Um, that's pretty much going to be it for the game. Uh, I guess it could be noted that Eddie Tavares uh, could be in some peril when, it's, when it comes to that final cut because he was really kind of buried alongside the two rookies in Bembry and Prince in the uh, in the non-rotation part of the game. They played a lot in the fourth quarter when the game was out of hand, essentially, alongside Will Bynum uh, and some other guys. But uh, Tavares was sort of in, in that group, uh, whereas I expected the rookies to be there and not be really a part of the rotation early on. But Tavares not cracking that, that, that inside rotation on a night where he probably could have had his way with some of the New Orleans big men is concerning for him. Um, I, I, I continue to think that if, if the Hawks do make a simple cut, it, I think Tavares is probably the most likely guy. That doesn't mean it's, it's likely because there's so many different options here for what Atlanta could do, but Tavares, I think, uh, is the guy, you know, with, with the caveat that Muscala sort of been in the rotation the entire preseason, I'd be pretty surprised they moved on from him at this point. So Tavares sort of is the guy I'm zeroing, zeroing in on, knowing full well that the Hawks can go in a different direction. It's just something that I'm, I'm kind of trying to chronicle on a daily basis because of the fact that I get asked about it so much. So I think Tavares is the pole position guy to be cut, but a long way to go there. Um, the Hawks, uh, of course, though, did make a roster move after the game on Tuesday night. At least it was reported as such by Chris Vivamore of the AJC. By the time you're listening to this, it could have been it could have been confirmed by the team. But Vivamore reported that the Hawks elected to move on from Ryan Kelly after the game on Tuesday. He will be the second player cut um, on the Hawks roster. We talked about it earlier in the week that Matt Costello, the former Michigan State big man, was the first cut. Um, Ryan Kelly, of course, played at Duke, has, uh, has been a member of the Los Angeles Lakers over the last handful of seasons, and actually is a guy I think can actually play a little bit. That might be the fact. It might be part of the reason why the Hawks let him go a little bit early, is so he can have a chance to, to latch on elsewhere. The Hawks are sort of famous for that with allowing guys their best positions. I think about Lamar Patterson in summer league. They kind of let him go in the middle of, in the middle of that summer league, so that he can he could land somewhere else with the Kings, and that could be something that's. Uh, the rationale behind Ryan Kelly, you know, he was always sort of a victim of the numbers game here uh, and the fact that the Hawks have so many front court bodies. But I do think Ryan Kelly is an NBA player, and he's clearly a better player than a guy like Josh Majette would be who is still technically on the Hawks roster. So uh, Kelly being let go, screams of that. But the, the roster is now at 18. Kelly appeared in all six preseason games, so he's been 
not you know not a central member of the team, but certainly a guy who was around at media day and was has been in and out. So uh, I want to you know definitely want to wish Ryan Kelly the best, uh, but uh, it looks like he's not going to be a part of the Atlanta Hawks plans. And while it's not a surprise, it's certainly worth noting. Um, with all that out of the way from Tuesday night, it was very busy. Uh, earlier in the day on Tuesday, if we can move to another topic, the annual NBA general manager survey was released on NBA.com. Uh, this is always a source of entertainment for me and very much very much a source of entertainment for a lot of people on the internet um, because of some of the ridiculous things that the NBA GMs do with this. For those of, those unfamiliar, the, the GMs are asked a series of questions, uh, you know, wide-ranging, a bunch of different, different kinds of formats and things, and they're, uh, they're answering anonymously. Um, some of the time the answers become uh, a bit crazy, and I, I think there were, there were a few of those on this night. I'm going to talk about the Hawks ones here. I'm going to link to it in the uh, podcast post on PeachtreeHoops.com if you want to go find it directly to the NBA GM survey. There's a lot more stuff that I won't talk about here on the Hawks-related podcast that you're listening to, but it's certainly uh, worth a listen. I mean, worth it, worth a read all the way through because of some of the crazy things that happen. Um you know, the the first thing I'd say would the, the the takeaway would be Paul Millsap, uh, not be he's not was not listed as, as even a top six power forward in the league. The question that the GMs were asked was who is the best power forward in the league, and six guys received votes for that. Millsap was not among them. Um, I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday's show, but because even with, but you know even with the caveat that LeBron James and Kevin Durant that were actually included in this, they both got votes. So if we take those guys out. It does seem crazy that Paul wouldn't land in the top four. Uh, both Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin received votes as the best power forward in the league. I just, I really can't comprehend that. Um, I don't think that Millsap is necessarily the best power forward in the league either. But I just can't, I can't picture a scenario where a GM sits down and says, you know what, Lamarcus Aldridge is the best power forward in the league. I just don't get that. Um, but even if that it was a possibility, I just don't see how you go with that ahead of Paul Millsap. So I talked about that a little bit on Tuesday. I wanted to re- kind of bring that up again because it was immediately uh, something that jumped out to me about the GM survey. Elsewhere, uh, Dwight Howard received two votes as the best interior defender in the NBA. Um, this would have certainly been the case a few years ago, maybe back to 2012, as recently as 2012, 2013-ish. Um, Howard could have been seen as that, but right now it is a is a serious stretch to think that he could be the best interior defender in the league. That's not a huge shot at Dwight, a guy who I still think can be a good defender and was largely a good defender during his time in Houston last year. It was up and down because of you know a lot of different factors, but uh, you know very good, very good defender, absolutely. Uh, best in the league interior defender is absolutely crazy, and I, I would love to know who voted for him. Uh, there were two votes for two out of thirty for Howard there, and that seems uh, absolutely nuts. So I'd like to see you know, these. These will never be revealed unless something is hacked. But uh, Howard is not the best interior defender in the league. That's not me hating on Dwight. It's just the reality of the situation at this point in time. Uh, Dennis Schroeder got a vote as the top breakout candidate. This year, it was only one vote for Schroeder and guys like you know Devin Booker, Kristaps Porzingis uh, got a lot of votes in there. There was there was one for Kevin Durant as a breakout player, which I think is uh, amusing because he's already an NBA MVP. Uh, also, Anthony Davis made the cut as a guy who had a vote for this award, so I'm not really sure what the criteria was, but Schroeder's a guy who's been got, getting a lot of buzz uh, as as a most improved player candidate, and that's some this kind of lends itself to that as a player who could really make a leap uh, this season. Kyle Korver 
was mentioned a few times, he ranked as a top three player in both the pure shooter category and the best off-ball movement category. He trailed Clay Thompson in both on both lists, and, uh, and obviously trailed trailed Stephen Curry as a pure shooter. But Corver being in top three there sounds about right to me. Um, you know, Corver is famously an awesome shooter who was the best shooter in the league just two years ago, even even better than Steph was during that year from three point land. Um, and you know, the way that he moves the, moves off the ball is uh, legendary. He's very very good at creating space through screens and kind of just running around constantly, constant movement. He's in great shape. And uh, good to see Kyle get a little bit of notice there. Um, the Hawks as a team got two votes as the best defensive team in the league. Um, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me, but, but because of the fact that the Hawks were the number one team in defensive rating after the All-Star break last year, uh, you could talk me into that. Um, there isn't that obvious uh, top-rated defense for me this year because of the some of the concerns that the San Antonio Spurs have with Paul Gasol now in the mix, Tim Duncan out of the mix. The Warriors may not be trying defensively a ton. I do like Utah's personnel. I like Boston's personnel defensively. There's a couple of other teams. Um, so you could talk me into Atlanta being in the mix. I wouldn't have voted for them, but it's not it's not that crazy. Um, it's I, I would say it's aggressive given the turnover because of the fact that Howard and Schroeder are uh, wild cards, but their ceilings are both pretty high. So you know I won't hit on that too much. Uh, also, Mike Budenholzer received some love for his in-game adjustments. Um, for me, that's you know a lean toward his uh, his his timeout uh, calls after timeouts offensively and the way that he's been able to mold this defense, especially in games, to kind of be matchup based. Um, he's very, very good at that. Very, very good at his job. Um, also, the Hawks land uh, number at number six in the compilation of the survey among the Eastern Conference um, teams. You know, landing in the playoffs is just it's just fine. They trail Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, Indiana, and Detroit in that order. I'm really, really not a fan of uh, Indiana being number four. I just don't see that from the Pacers. I, I really worry about their defense. But this is not a Pacers podcast, so I won't go too deep in there. Um, after the Hawks come the Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards, but which, which, but which both sounds about right. So the Hawks laying a sixth, you know, that might be too low for some people, might be too high for some people. It's perfectly fine in my opinion. That's, uh, you know, I'm kind of in lockstep there, and that's kind of a, you know, a realistic expectation for this Hawks team. And before I get to the last part of the show, I uh, am remiss. I did not talk. I did not talk about. I did not pay off the little tease from earlier about Mike Budenholzer. Uh, Budenholzer actually was forced to leave. Tuesday night's game, which I'm sure you've probably seen by the time you listen to this podcast, but Bud got into a collision with uh, the Pelicans guard Langston Galloway on the sideline. It was not a malicious thing by any means. Galloway was going for a loose ball and Bud was in the way. Um, Budenholzer already had a, a, a broken finger in which he had surgery, so he was already in a soft cast type thing on the on his right hand, and uh, he went down in a heap when Galloway drilled him at the end of the first half. Uh, Budenholzer missed the entire second half and also was not available to the media after the game. We, we spoke with Darvin Ham, who did a great job. Uh, Darvin, you know, famously coached the summer league team a couple of years ago and has a little bit of experience in that area. But he did a nice job. Uh, but Budenholzer is is apparently fine. But it's worth noting that he uh, missed a, missed a half of basketball. I, I wonder if that would have been the case during the regular season. But but is a is a, a trooper and he seems to be okay. I just I, ne- I neglected to mention that earlier, so I want to get that in here. The uh, last part of today's podcast is uh, ESPN has been doing this five-on-five preview series of a bunch of different teams in the league. Uh, the Hawks were released earlier this week. Uh, the five people asked all the questions about the Hawks uh, were Kevin Pilton, 
who we had on the show last week. If you're not not listening to that podcast yet, I encourage you to do so. Kevin's one of the smartest guys in the industry. He was on this uh, panel. Amin El-Hassan was on this panel. Kevin Arnovitz, Bradford Doolittle, and Jeremiah Engelman were the five guys. Um, Just kind of briefly, I would encourage you to go read this uh, in full because of the fact that there's a lot of uh, depth here that we will not be hitting on on the podcast, but there's uh, certainly some interesting opinions in there. That's what I would say. Interesting opinions, a lot of which I agreed with, but not not everything that I agree with. But it's worth it's worth a read, and I'll look to that in the podcast post. Uh, there's a lot of love for Dennis Schroeder as a breakout candidate. I mentioned that a minute ago about the GMs, but you know Kevin Pelton's been talking about Schroeder as a potential uh, most improved candidate. That's kind of the uh, the message that I heard a lot from these five guys in that space. Um, most of them feel like an improvement from Dwight Howard is probably coming, especially when compared to last year. But uh, I would say that they're not falling all over themselves to project huge things for Dwight, but just more of a modest improvement. Um, you know, in, in terms of issues for this Hawks team, I think they both they all uh, in some form or fashion highlighted a lack of playmaking, especially outside of Schroeder. Um, Age as a concern, being a lot of these guys on the roster are over 30, especially when you're talking about guys who are on short contracts. And also identity. You know, Kevin Arnovitz was on that podcast with Zach Lowe last week and talked about this extensively, but I'm just not really sure what the Hawks' plan is moving forward. That's something that I've been preaching since they made the move to sign Dwight and just kind of the overall uh, theme of July. But uh, identity is a big concern. Uh, there was a question posed about the most likely trade that would the Hawks could include could uh, be included in. I think there was some interest around Kyle Korver. I thought it was pretty noteworthy that Amino Hassan went with uh, actually an upgrade at point guard. Um, it's kind of an indictment of Schroeder, considering that, that that was kind of the choice the team made. But he is a restricted free agent, and if he's not great this year, the Hawks could be uh, looking to improve there. I think Amin's kind of just looking big picture uh, to see what this team could look like with a better point guard option. I just don't think that's necessarily re- realistic, given the investment that I think is coming with Schroeder. And finally, when asked if the Hawks were going to make the Eastern Conference semifinals, meaning the Final Four of the East, they got uh, three guys who answered flatly no, as they're not, they're not projecting that. That's the camp that I'm in. I don't think this team is a top four team in the Eastern Conference. Um, but there were two guys who basically said it was a 50-50 type of proposition. Because of the fact that the East is pretty wide open after the top three, I kind of identify with that. There's not a single team in which uh, it would shock me if the Hawks beat in a series outside of the top three. You know, Detroit, Indiana, Washington, Charlotte are the teams that I think are right there. But you know, in a, in a playoff series, this Hawks team could beat any of those teams. It wouldn't that wouldn't blow me away. So they could reach the Final Four. I'm not going to pick them to do that in terms of the Eastern Conference. But I thought that was a pretty illuminating answer. And again, I would encourage you to go read that entire thing. We're going to stay away from the mailbag on today's show. There's a couple of questions that I want to get to, even from a couple of my personal friends in real life that asked me questions on Twitter. So we'll get to those uh, in the next day or two. I have a guest uh, hopefully lined up to record uh, later today. You listen to this on Wednesday to be posted on Thursday's show, so hopefully that will be coming through. The Hawks are on television, or not on television, I should say, locally on Thursday night against the Bulls. That's unfortunate for the last preseason game, but at the same time, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Hawks are not going to be pulling out all the stops in that particular game, so I'll uh, hopefully be able to get my hands on some uh, video of that game once we get there, and we'll review that on Friday. Otherwise, though, please stay tuned uh, for the podcast moving forward. If you've not subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you want to do that. Um, also, Peachtree Hoops, as I've mentioned a couple of times, is a place that I write. I'm going to be writing more 
there as you know, as the season kind of kicks, got kind of gets going. You know, previews, recaps, analysis of every, everything that's going on in Hawks world. You can find there, and every single podcast uh, that we do will have a dedicated post on that site. If you want an outline, that's a good place to do it. Um, thanks again for listening. We've had some nice growth in the podcast. I appreciate that. Please tell your friends about the show as we're now officially in basketball season. It would be nice to keep the, keep the, the momentum rolling with the podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, the Hawks will keep it rolling as well. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on uh, Thursday with another fresh show. And uh, stay tuned.